0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Psalm 105 verse 5 says to remember the wonders that He has done. Really, when we think about the invitation of what God has invited us into in Scripture, the comprehensive uh, plan that God has for us, that there are times that God says, "You, you just need to pause and look back and remember what I have done for you. You know that God never invites us to look back at anything we've done. You ever notice that? Not to look back at our successes, not to look back at our failures, but we are constantly reminded God has done something for us. Let's remember that. That's what the best of is about. It's about giving you a voice. You voted in the top four sermon series that we preached over the last year. We bring them back and recap them as a chance for us to remember what God has done. I really don't think there was perhaps a more significant series over the last year than the one that we're looking at today, Friending. And the reason I would say that, is that relationships are so central to the plan that God has for us. God wants us to live in relationship with him and with others. As a matter of fact, I'd go so far as to tell you this. This is not in your notes, but I would take this down. That if you show me your friends, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you will show me your friends, let me see your friends, I can paint a picture of your future. And some of you go, no, uh uh-uh. That's not me, better than my friends. I, can, I know that my friends are struggling in addiction. I know that they're, you know, going the wrong way, but I'm the person, I'm strong enough, I'm strong enough to make it on my own. I can do this. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 13:20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If we're around people who are better at things than we are. Better at managing their money. Better at relationships. They have a successful marriage. They have parented kids like we would like to. Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. As we kind of took our first steps in the series, we did a little activity. I want to revisit that. It's actually in your notes today. It was painful for many of you. If you weren't here, it's going to be painful right now. Um, there are, there's a spot in your notes for you to list right now your five closest friends. Your five closest friends. And let me put some rules on that with you. I do not want you to list family. No spouses, no brothers or sisters. They have to be your friends. All right? <laughs> friends. People who chose to be your friends. Top five friends. Write them down now. Five people that you can confide in. Five people that you find solace in their their relationship, that they come and encourage you. Five people who they are willing to speak truth into your life. Five people who are close to you. You spend time with them. They know your life intimately. Five friends. While you're writing that down, I would tell you that sociologists have a rule when they look at a list of friends. They say that if we look at the list of our five closest friends, that most of us are the average of our five closest friends. You look at their relationships with their spouses. We are the average of our five closest friends. Look at the way that they... uh, either earning potential as far as what they're making uh, or the way that they spend money. Um, Often we're the average of our five closest friends. You deal with education and, and all of those. We are the average of our five closest friends for most of us. So when you look at that list, do you want to be the average of that list? Do you want to be the average of those five people? You know, when we look back through life, most of us would say, there have been times that I have climbed to the mountaintop with my friends and I've experienced the highs of life and it has been even better because they were with me, you know? But, I don't know if you like me, but the stupid stuff you do, <laughs> most of the time your friends are there too, aren't they? I mean, I don't know if that's just me, but I think that's really life, isn't it? You know, I was always the friend that would encourage people to do stupid things, not the person that actually did them. And, you know, I, I, I was sitting with some, some friends in South Carolina, I heard this story, I just have to share this with you. This is how stupid people can get when they're hanging out with their friends. They decided late in the evening on a Saturday night that they wanted to drive from Columbia to Charleston. Which, not that big of a deal. It's about a two-hour drive. But they wanted to drive there blindfolded. (laughs) The whole way. The the way that they wanted to get there is they wanted their friends to tell them, take a right, take a right, no, back left, no, right. The whole, and they did, in the middle of the night, drove all the way. At least that's what they said. I don't know how true that can be. That's a long way to make it blindfolded. Um, You know, when we look back, the high points and the low points, often we find friendships married to those moments. That's a, a powerful reality to grasp. That's why friends are important. You know, I think it's important to maybe create a definition of friendship. Let's look at the Bible, Proverbs 17, 17. Read this with me. It'll be up on the screen. A friend is someone that you may or may not know well. Who accepts your friend request on Facebook? This person is born to like and comment on your post and to make you feel good about yourself. Proverbs seventeen, seventeen in the FBV, the Facebook version of the Bible. How many of y'all know? You know, the terminology on social media has radically changed the way we think about relationships. You know, for good or for bad, it's a part of our lives. But if you look at that definition, that's really shallow compared to what the Bible tells us a friend should look like. Let's look at the real Proverbs 17, 17. It says that a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. Friend loves at all times. Do you know if you have your kids in our uh, kids program, every month they're given a Bible verse to learn. Do you all know this? I don't know if you're a parent, you probably do. And and every month we go through and and take the verse with my, my three-year-old and we have her recite it to us at bedtime. That's our, our nightly routine. She shares her Bible verse and then we pray together and then she goes to bed. And this was one of those verses, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. They spend a whole month looking at friendship. Okay. I love how my daughter says it though. She doesn't say it exactly right. You see, whenever in our house we talk about friends, we're often talking about our small group. So when we say we're going to go see friends tonight, it means we're going to go to a small group. When, when I say, hey, friends are coming over, it means some of our small group folks are coming over. And so when my daughter recites it, she goes, a friend loves it all time. Small group, 1717. <laughs> Just as a promo, in your worship guide today as a sign up. If you're interested in leading or hosting a small group this fall, over the next three or four weeks, we're compiling a list of small groups that we're going to populate this fall. If you're interested in that, uh, please fill out that form and drop it in the offering as it comes through in just a little bit. See, small groups are a great place to connect and make those kind of friendships. A friend that loves at all times. You know that that little activity I just had you do, fill out your closest friends. That's actually an ongoing sociological study in the United States. And if you went back 50 years, the average person would list out six or seven close friends. Six Or seven close friends would be on that list. But today, when they do that study today, the average American can only list two. Two friends. I don't know if you're with me, but when I read the Bible, I think that living a life where you only have two close friends is completely shy of the goal that God has set for us to live in community with people who love us that we love. But that's the reality of the world that we live in. So, to help you, when we went through the series, I gave you a list of three different kinds of friends that we all need. I'd like to go back through that. We actually used the life of David and looked at three different moments where God used friends to change David's course of history. The first one actually starts out when we meet the character of David. It deals with a man named Samuel who is sent by God to Bethlehem, which is where David's family lived. And in Bethlehem, Samuel goes to a man named Jesse and says, Jesse, God is going to appoint one of your sons to be the next king. Would you... Round up your sons. I'm going to pray over them. And God is going to show me which one is going to be the next king. So Jesse rounds his sons up. He goes through and prays over all of them. Some of them look like they should be the next king. But every time, God says no. Then look at this verse out of 1 Samuel 16. After they call from the field, David, who was not originally invited in, David comes in and Samuel prays over him, and this is what the Bible records. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. We all need friends like Samuel, and that's the kind of friend that makes you better. We need a friend that makes us better. Think about that with me. David's own father. When posed the opportunity, one of your sons, one of your sons is going to be the next king, David's own father excluded him. David's own dad didn't call him in to be a part of the group that Samuel would pray over. But Samuel saw in David something that was hidden by the heart of God. He saw the capacity to lead. He saw the, the anointing that God had destined for him. And in that response, Samuel opened the door to David that could have never been open to him outside of that moment. We need friends that make us better. We need friends that look at us and tell us that we're better than we think we are. Now, I've worked with several people throughout my career who had terminal conditions, cancer, chronic diseases. I've heard this over and over and over again. I didn't know I was strong until my friends told me. But when I started hearing over and over and over again, "You're strong, you can make it. You're strong. I believe in you. You can do this." somehow I started to believe it. We need friends that will make us better. And you know what that looks like? That's not comfortable. As a matter of fact, we quote this verse a lot. Proverbs 27:17 says that, "As iron sharpens iron, so one. Friend sharpens a friend. See, iron sharpening iron? Not comfortable. It's actually friction. What the Bible is telling us is that there's going to be friction that comes about sometimes. We don't need to run from it. We actually need to run to it. That friction can make us better. The second kind of friend is we need a friend like Jonathan. Jonathan was a friend who helps us find spiritual strength. If you know the story of David, David is anointed to be the next king, but there is already a king. Saul is already enthroned. He is already the king of Israel. And so as this story begins, there's immediately a tension. There's immediately this reality, there's a king that's on the throne and God has said, David is going to be the next king. And then David shows up at a battle where Goliath is taunting the the men of Israel and this Philistine giant is defeated by David. And his name, this anointed next king, begins to grow. And there is this great tension to the point that the existing king Saul begins to chase after David so that he could kill him and squash God's plan. But Saul's son, Jonathan, was wise enough to see what God was doing and became a friend to David. And I love this verse as we look in. 1 Samuel 23 that while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph he's hiding out in the desert he learned that Saul had come out to take his life and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. We're all going to go through deserts. If you think that Your life is going to be absent of difficulty. You're wrong. But in the midst of a difficult situation and season, we need friends that will come to us who will remind us God is bigger than your problem. He has not failed you, and He will not fail you. We need friends that will help us find spiritual strength. And the third kind of friend that we need is we need a friend like Nathan. We need a friend who will tell us the truth. Now Nathan appears much later in the story of David. David has become king and has won many battles. He is now an established ruler, a victorious soldier. But David has just done something that is Sinful and broken. He has had an affair and then executed the husband of the woman and then brought her as she was pregnant to become his wife. And Nathan, the prophet on the scene, shows up in David's court and tells him this story David, as I've been traveling, came upon a town where there was a man who had hundreds of sheep. He had hundreds of sheep. He had all the sheep that a man could ever want. And there was another man that only had one. But that man that had one loved that sheep. And seeing that he loved that sheep, the man with hundreds of sheep took that sheep, slaughtered it, and ate it. And David, caught in the emotion of that moment, stands up. We must find that man. He must be executed. And Nathan, with his finger pointed back at David, said this: First, Second Samuel twelve seven. Then David said to, or Nathan said to David, "You are the man." You're the man that took the one sheep. You see, we need friends who love us enough to tell us the truth. You know why? Because that is often the most loving conversation you will ever have. You know why it's loving? How many of you, when you go to talk to somebody about something that's going to be difficult, you love them, you care about them, you're worried about them, how many of you know it's going to go bad? All right. I know. This is not going to end up real well. Somebody's going to be crying. There's going to be a huge hot mess of a person that I'm going to have to deal with after this. They might like me. They might not. I might get punched in the face. It's probably not going to end well. But I love them enough that I can't keep the truth from them. I see you destroying yourself. I can't be silent. I love you too much. We need friends like that. We don't need friends, friends, that will keep silent as we're Destroying ourselves. As a matter of fact, look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 27. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. We need friends that will tell us the truth. You know what's sad? So I just listed three different kinds of friends. And on average, most of you could barely put down two friends. That means that there's a hole in your life. Because you don't have, if you're the average person You don't have the totality of the kind of friendships that God wants to provide because God doesn't just want to give you a best friend. It's not about just developing a BFF for the rest of your life. God wants you to live in a community of friends, a community of people who love you and care about you. As we, in this series, talked about what community looks like. We actually leveraged some terms that became defining for us. as some, some terms that some of you now use. I'd like to go through and share with you three qualities of a great community of friends. The first one is that we have refrigerator rights. We have refrigerator rights. That means that I can walk into your house... Without asking, go to your fridge and get something out and eat it. I might have to ask where the mayo is for this tomato sandwich I'm about to make. But you're not going to look at me like, what are you doing? Go to my refrigerator. See, as the church began to emerge after Jesus had ascended to heaven, as this great miracle of what God had done, began to manifest itself into the church. We see this verse in Acts 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Had everything in common. It's not my food. It's our food. It's not my house. It's our house. It's not my family. It's our family. We are living together. We have refrigerator rights The other day I was talking to a a guy at the gym. A a guy goes to church here, and he was there with his workout partner. They work out almost every day together. And I know some of y'all are looking at me going, he goes to the gym. (laughs) That's hurtful, y'all. That's hurtful, what you're thinking in your head right now. We were talking, and uh, he said, he said, he, him and his friend were talking, and his friend, his friend mentioned something about his life. and The guy who goes to our church, looked at him and said, Man, I didn't know about that. And then he looked at me and goes, we don't have refrigerator rights. <laughs> what he was saying is, hey, you know what? There's a level of friendship. That's not what this friendship is. But I've got that. I've got that with some other people. You see... God wants us to live with that intimacy, to care about somebody that much that yeah you come over, man. My refrigerator is your refrigerator. Go in, get you a bottle of water. Go, get you whatever you need. If you're hungry, go get you some food. The second thing that we see in great communities is the we accept that we're all a little crazy, and we love each other in spite of the crazy. Now, y'all might not know this. You might not. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you're crazy. All of you, every single one of you. You know, from like this distance, I can get to know you, and you look pretty normal. Right? I I see your Facebook posts. You eat normal food, and, you know, you you love your kids, and you work hard. But when you start to really get to know somebody... (laughs) They're crazy. And you're going to see they're crazy. You're going to see their brand of crazy. And it's going to grate on your nerves. But in a great community, we understand, hey, we're all crazy. <laughs> we all have our own little things. And I accept your crazy just like you accept mine. Look what the Bible says in Romans 15. Accept one another then. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When we accept each other and live in that type of a community, it brings glory to God. Because we don't major on the minors of somebody's life. We actually love them for who they are. And the third thing that we see in great communities is that they fight lions together. They fight lions together. There's a tendency as we start to think about what this life as we follow Jesus looks like. That it's just me running after God. But I would tell you today that if that's all you think of and you don't live with the awareness that there's an enemy that wants you to fail. Your scope is a little too small. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, if you step out and think about that the Bible has identified the devil our enemy as a lion, and we start to think about what actually transpires on the fields and the plains of Africa, you would notice one important thing, that when you are alone, you are vulnerable. When you are alone, you are vulnerable. But when you live in community, you're protected, alone, you're vulnerable. But when we live inside the kind of community that God wants to give us, we are protected. See, as strong as you are by yourself, you are only you. But when we are joined with people that love us, people who care about us, people that we live with, that know that we're crazy, they know our struggles, they know the things that we need help and strength. When we live with the people who are willing to come in difficult moments and point us to Jesus, somehow we're a lot stronger. You know, really, there's a, Friendship that opens up the door to this type of community. And if you don't have that friend, if you're not living in that friendship, you can never fully live out the kind of relationships that God wants to give us. And we see that relationship described in John chapter 15, where Jesus says this to his followers. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And you know what? Throughout this room today, there are many of us that when we describe our relationship with Jesus, we would describe it like we are a servant. Just doing what God wants me to do. Just being faithful. Just a soldier marching out to plan. And God has invited you into a friendship where he knows you, he loves you, and you can know him and experience his love. You see, because those three types of friends that God sends really are representative of the kind of love that he wants to give you. The stuff that we need to first find in a relationship with him. And if we don't have that friendship, we're always going to struggle with what is, I think, on an epidemic level, the most uh, widespread issue that many of us deal with, and that's loneliness. Jesus didn't give you marching orders. Say, go. What he did is he invited you to be his friend. And that friendship, experiencing the love of Jesus, lets us love other people the way they should be. Being encouraged by Jesus when we're down teaches us how to encourage others. And being the kind of person that will listen when the heart of God corrects us, enables us to experience God's love and be able to share it with others. If we don't get that friendship right, it's absolutely impossible to live in community with others. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have invited us into a relationship That we don't deserve a friendship that we could never earn. And God, we thank you today. That we don't just have to call you master, but we can know you as friend. For many of us, loneliness is a daily struggle. It's something that we numb with things like Facebook and Instagram. But God, we desperately need a relationship with you. We need to experience a friendship that is life-giving and life-changing. And that's what you've invited us into. And there's no way for us to ever love other people well without being loved by you. So, with nobody looking around, all eyes closed, everybody being still, let me ask you this question. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you living in a friendship with God right now? Are you living in a friendship with Jesus? Or maybe today you would say, I don't have that, but I want it. I want it. I want to experience the love of God in a friendship with His Son, Jesus. If that's you, all you need to do is to be willing to take the first step. Just to be willing to say, God, I want that. Start the journey. If that's you today, And you say, I don't have that kind of relationship, but I want it. Would you raise your hand right now, if that's you? I want to experience a relationship with Jesus. I want to experience a life that is lived as a friend of God. So God, for those who have raised their hands. God, we just ask that by your mercy and grace, you would take them and shepherd them and lead them. Move them, God, to the place where their lives are wholly committed to you. Lead them on this life-changing journey that you've invited all of us into. And be their friend. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.